You're listening to The Message from the Hillsborough United Methodist Church, our weekly sermon broadcast available for working around the home, your commute, or wherever God calls you to listen. There's a passage this morning about food sacrifice to idols and another passage about demon possession. And you might think they have nothing to say to us anymore because we don't worry about food sacrifice to idols. That's not a contemporary issue. And we mostly have let go of the notion of demonic possession as a reality in our lives. But... Funny enough, there is some truth here that we ought to dig out. Paul writes to the Corinthians. He's answering a question that they've asked in another letter that we've lost in history. The Corinthians write him and they say, look, we know that there's not really any other actual gods or idols. And, you know, at the local temple, they have the big, you know, Friday steak fry and would like to go down and have some because we know that there's not actually anything magic happening there because it's all just a bunch of bunk. There's only one God, the God that we serve. So we want to go do that. But there are some people in church (laughs) who say we shouldn't do it because they're not as smart as we are. And they think that maybe God is actually going to get mad at them for this. That's a summary, not the actual Greek text. And Paul writes back and says, yes, it may be that you know that the food that is sacrificed, the meat that is sacrificed in the Corinthian temples to other gods is not really being offered to other gods. You may know that, but your knowledge has puffed you up. It's given you a big head. Love ought to build up not just you, but all of the community. You don't get to dismiss somebody else's concerns because you think you know better. And then there's that key moment as Paul unpacks this argument when he says, do not let your freedom, do not let your liberty, do not let your understanding be a cause of harm for others. There's been a lot of talk in our country for a long time, of course, but especially over the last year or so about freedom and what it means. And If you listen to the arguments, if you listen to the debate that happens publicly about freedom, it's clear that what some of us mean by freedom and what others mean, even as we use the same word and the same concepts and the same language, are very different. There are some folks for whom freedom means a complete absence of restrictions on personal choices. And there are others for whom freedom means not being held and oppressed by others. A lot of that debate was, of course, centered on masks and how we can gather with others publicly, whether we get to get together with our family and friends for 20 people at dinner over Christmas or Thanksgiving. 
just, was it yesterday or Friday, uh, down in Los Angeles. There was a big vaccine clinic happening. People were able to get their vaccine for the COVID-19 virus and protesters stopped them from coming in because they're opposed to the idea of vaccines because they have some twisted sense of freedom and a really warped understanding of science and truth. We've been debating for a long time in this country what freedom really means. And it shouldn't be a surprise that we have a very different understanding, several different understandings of freedom. After all, when our founders wrote the documents that became the foundation of our democracy, the Declaration of Independence and then later the Constitution, they talked a lot about freedom and liberty, but they owned slaves while they did that. So it's pretty obvious, it ought to be pretty obvious that, that our notions of freedom have never been entirely clear or clean or True. There are some folks for whom freedom has meant that they don't have to do anything they don't want to do. They should never be inconvenienced. They should never have to make a choice that impacts and think about how it impacts someone else. Paul would tell them they're full of it. That they have a complete misunderstanding of what true freedom is. Sure, you don't... You, you might know that food sacrifice to idols, says Paul, is not really sacrifice to an idol because we know that idols are false and they don't truly exist. But your choice impacts how others understand their faith, and you'd better be careful about that, says Paul. For followers of Jesus, freedom doesn't mean that you have no restrictions ever. It means that you're freed to live in love and in service to others. There should never have been a debate for Christians about whether we wear masks or not. Governments, as they have issued the stay-at-home orders or restricted places where people can gather publicly, have almost always made an exception for faith communities that they can gather in larger numbers. And it, it just galls me that Christians, primarily Christians, have demanded their special privileges instead of being the first ones to say, we're going to stay home to keep others safe. Time and time and time again in scripture, from the very beginnings of our faith, through, well, the last 2,000 years of the witness of the church, the central tenet of Christianity has been to love and care for others. It has not been to gather for worship. We are measured in our faithfulness by how we care for others. So the fact that governors have had to make exemptions for faith communities is a witness to how wrong faith communities so often have been when it comes to questions about what it means to be free. I am so grateful that in this congregation, we have not had people who have been knocking at the door saying, we've got to get back together. Because I know that's not the case in so many places. In Hillsboro, in Oregon, in Methodist churches, in other places. But that notion that we have to be allowed to do this thing, even when it harms someone else, is not freedom. And it's certainly not the freedom that Christ calls us to.
Jesus goes to the synagogue, and he's teaching about uh, whatever Jesus is teaching about. He sees a man who's possessed by demons, and he casts the demon out, and everybody's astounded. Look at the authority this guy has. We don't think much about demon possession anymore, really. We talk about it occasionally when it comes up in the lectionary, but it's not a thing that we imagine being real. We don't imagine people being physically possessed by spirits from malevolent spirits from another realm. But in Jesus' day, his culture understood that there was illness. You could eat something that made you sick. You could catch a cold. You could have the flu. And there was possession. And those were different things. A lot of what is described as demon possession, we might see as and understand as a mental illness. And in some ways, it actually makes good sense to think of it as being possessed. Not because demons are real and out to get us, but because if you talk to people who have wrestled with really intensive mental illnesses, depression and suicidal ideation, or eating disorders, or people who have had a psychic break from reality. It doesn't feel like, oh, I'm a little bit sick. It feels like you have been removed from yourself, like someone else is in the driver's seat. People who wrestle with those diseases will tell you that very often it feels like another voice in their head who says, you're not worthy, you're not loved, it'd be easier if. You aren't attractive, you aren't beautiful, you're not worthy because you don't look like. It very much feels like the experience of that can very much be like having someone in residence in your head and in your life that you did not invite. And it is so hard to remove that. So perhaps Jesus and his culture understood something that we miss out on. And here's the other piece of that, and that is that in Jesus' day, as in ours, people who are wrestling with those kinds of demons, it's not just their experience that, of the internal life that they're struggling with. It is the social realities that they find themselves bumping up against. If you were possessed by a demon in Jesus' day, you weren't welcome in polite society. You were shunned and pushed aside. And 2,000 years later, it's not any better. It's not any different. Just this morning, as uh, folks were coming in to get ready for the live stream, I was walking around the building and I began to hear some shouting outside. And I looked and there was a beloved child of God, a member of our Hillsborough community, walking down the middle of the street and he was shouting and as he walked down the street, turning over his shoulder. And I couldn't make out everything he said, but I do remember him saying, and did hear him say, quit following me, leave me alone, and all kinds of other things. He was angry, and it was unsettling to see how angry he was because I couldn't see what it was that he was angry at. But it was so clear that he was also scared. And our society doesn't know what to do with people when they are struggling in the way that this gentleman was. Part of the reason that he is walking out on the street today 
is because our nation made a decision in the 80s to quit funding mental health services to a significant degree. So the kind of help that would bring him healing and wholeness is not available. It's not easy to access. And that reality is demonic. We've once again cast aside somebody else because we don't want to be bothered with their the demons that make us uncomfortable. We are called to be free. To be set free from the demons that control our lives. Many of us may never have to wrestle with profound depression or suicidal ideation or eating disorders or any of the other powerful, destructive mental illnesses that others do. But many of us do. But all of us are called to be set free from the demons that do guide and direct our lives. And some of those demons are less obviously destructive, but even more challenging to address because we don't see them. True freedom, says Jesus, is not the freedom to do whatever you want without restriction. It is to be freed to give yourself wholly to God and to others. And until we can rid ourselves of our own self-fascination, our own self-centeredness, until we are freed from that, we're bound to follow every whim and every idea that pops in our head. To lash out against everything that feels like a restriction or a restraint. We are called to be freed from our own self-absorption. If you want to learn how to be free, you have to be, learn how to let God be in the midst of our lives. That is not to say that folks who are struggling with mental illness, people who are wrestling with a sense of self-worth, people who are crawling through the depths of depression just need to love God a little more. That is not the issue. But for those of us who find ourselves where we are doing okay, there is continued growth towards the freedom that Christ offers, and it comes in letting go of our own egos, our own ideas about how things ought to be, our own sense of self-satisfaction. What would happen if we saw our lives, the purpose of our lives, to reach out and to care for one another? Because love, says Paul, builds up. It reaches out to those who are struggling and lifts them up. It finds a place for those who have no other place in our world and invites them in. The kind of freedom that Paul offers, that Paul invites us to understand is present in Christ, is a kind of love that builds up a new community, not just the individual, but invites a whole new people to be born as the kingdom of God. It invites us from deep separation from one another into a really profound sense of commitment of life together. This is what freedom is, says Paul. It is not a freedom from restrictions. It is rather a freedom to live entirely for others. And that's not what we imagine often when we think about freedom. But that's what Christ 
invites us to. And that is what we find, where we find true freedom in this life. It is in committing ourselves to love others. Knowledge, says Paul, puffs up. Love builds up. You may think you know so much, says Paul, because you've watched the YouTube videos that your friend sent you on Facebook. But love compels us to live for others. To gather in the deepest relationships that come only when we offer ourselves entirely for others. If you want to be free, says Christ and Paul, and the whole history of our faith, if you want to be free, let go of yourself and embrace God's community. Christ is at work bringing healing and wholeness to our community and to brothers and sisters, to our world. For folks who have been rejected and left out and oppressed. For people who have struggled with mental illness and a sense of not being worthy and loved. God is at work in Christ to bring healing to those and to bring healing in and through us to one another. This is God's good news, brothers and sisters. We know how to be free. And it begins by offering ourselves in love. To one another. And that, my friends, is the good news. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message from Hillsborough United Methodist Church. Our senior pastor is Clay Andrew. Our pastor for Las Naciones Hispanic Ministries is Jorge Rodriguez. Our media ministers are Kevin Proctor, Janica Stewart, Perry Hume, Al Dietrich, Christy Proctor, and Dave Rose. Presently, our live stream of services are available at 10 a.m. on the Hillsborough United Methodist Church YouTube page. You can find out more, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube at hillsboroughumc.org. Thank you.